Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're talking about crimes of the future. The new David Cronenberg film is out. Man hasn't done body horror in 20 years. The King is back, baby. And we're going to talk about the movie and what we thought. We're also going to talk about the Bob's Burgers movie after 12 seasons of adult animated you know, uh, antics on television. The Bob's Burgers uh, family has officially transitioned to the movies. We saw the film, and we're going to talk about what we thought. We're going to talk about Netflix's new strategy about making movies going forward. You might be surprised. Uh, there's some recent investigating from The Hollywood Reporter regarding their, their, their recent slump, and I want to talk about what's going on there. And lastly, well, actually, firstly, we need to get to the news. Our first story this week, uh, Morbius came back to movie theaters, and it did terrible. <laughs> which is maybe the funniest possible oh god yeah maybe the funniest possible thing that could happen after weeks of online memes and goofy tiktoks and antics from people saying it's morbid time on twitter uh sony took the bait and put morbius out in a thousand theaters 1000 movie theaters ran morbius again last weekend and it made eighty five thousand dollars on friday (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> across across a thousand theaters uh not outstanding that that's actually going to be a big miss it likely cost more to put it in theaters than it did to, th- they made money back uh what what a what a mess andy what do you know about this um the, the internet remains undefeated uh mm. morbius was you know perfect meme fodder uh, because it's such a kind of a bad terrible superhero movie and jared leto is just you know the kind of the worst actor working right now. <laughs> uh, and so I don't know what executive thought that this was all like positive buzz and that they should re-release. I mean, the movie did, didn't do very well. Um, you know, it, it maybe broke even at best in during its original run, but there's no hunger or, you know, for it. I guess maybe they thought there was some sort of cult following, but that definitely wasn't the case. I mean, it was, it was, it was, it wasn't quite, like trending on on film twitter at least in my experience but like a lot of people were joking about morbius for like weeks and and there was that whole thing uh, it ran on twitch at one point people were live streaming pirated copies of the film uh amazon had to t- turn people off like the, the whole it's morbin time meme started moving around like it got it got pretty aggressive and i'm gonna be honest i, I was a little concerned like i i I trust American audiences to go do the right thing at the movies, but these are also the people that go see like the Fast and Furious movies and Michael Bay films. Like when they run with the meme, it seems like they're really into it. It was a pleasant surprise to wake up over the weekend and see, oh no, it totally flopped. They didn't even make a million. Like the movie made 73 million, 73.2 million in theaters in its original run, and now it's at like 73.8 million. Like they didn't even jump a number. Oh my gosh. I love it. Yeah, like. It's a disaster. And like I said, it, it's baffling that anyone would see this and be like, yeah, we should totally re-release it. Yeah. I I, I, I don't know what the next move is for Sony. Obviously, they're going to make another Venom movie. They're going to keep trying to build this universe on the back of Spider-Man. Um, but I, I just... I mean, the problem... I don't know. What, what do you think the odds are they making Morbius too? Jared Leto uh, t- hopped on I Twitter did, and Instagram no. and posted a goofy video about making it, which I hate. I hate the idea that he, he's acting like he's in on the joke because he's not. He is the joke. He, he is, is the, the entire joke, yeah. circus. They're not laughing uh, with you. They're laughing at you. No. Yeah. <laughs> we're, all make, we're all laughing at his expense. No, they, the, like, There's no way they make another one of these, right? They'll do what, what Marvel has been better about with some of their smaller characters. They introduce them as part of a larger movie. Yeah. You know, like when when they brought back uh, uh, the when they added the Incredible Hulk, they didn't 
yes, he had his own movie, but it wasn't really part of like the MCU. Um, uh-huh. And some of the other characters, like Black Widow, is a perfect example. They introduced her in during the Iron Man films, and then she kind of became more than that, and eventually got her own film later, much later. Um, so yeah, something like that's probably a better strategy. I agree. Uh, also, a bit of off news. We're going to the next story. Uh, Black Widow. Speaking of, won Best Hero at the MTV Movie Awards. So Look at that's that. kind of neat. Yeah. Uh, our next story. Nev Campbell's not coming back for Scream Six. Uh, this was kind of a surprise this week. Uh, after the success of Scream Five, it seemed a whole lot like Nev Campbell was on board to be the legacy star in future Scream films, like Jamie Lee Curtis and the Halloween reboots. Uh, but that doesn't seem to be the case anymore. Following some uh, discussion about salary and how much she was going to get paid, Nev Campbell feels she would be underpaid for Scream 6 and has opted not to appear in the film. Andy, what do you... Uh, it's a, pay, pay, a classic pay dispute. Happens all the time in Hollywood. This is usually used to just drum up some more support for the star. Yeah. She's... She, She's going to be in Scream 6. They're going to figure this out. They'll come back to, you know, they'll give her whatever she wants. Wow. Um, at, at, at the same time, th- this shows the danger of relying so much on legacy characters and not kind of establishing a new franchise or handing the franchise off to a younger cast, which is what they're, they're trying to do uh, very much so, is that you, you got to deal with these legacy characters who kind of you know, have the upper hand. They have all the leverage here. Like you can't not have Sidney Prescott in the movie. Yeah. Um, so they're going to, they're going to figure it out, but they could avoid these by a handing it off better and be killing off these characters. Mm. <laughs> and then you don't got it. Like I guarantee you now they'll pay her a boatload of money to be in scream six, kill her off and then never have to deal with her again. Yeah. I, I want to, I do want to talk about who else is coming back for this movie, but I want to mention her statement really quick. She said, uh, as a woman, I've had to work extremely hard in my career to establish my value, especially when it comes to scream. Uh, I felt the offer that was presented to me did not equate to the value I have brought to the franchise. Uh, scream so far has made a little over $744 million at the box office. It is no small feat. And I don't know what they offered her, uh, but Andy makes a good point. Like, they don't really need her. <laughs> like, it'd be nice if they had her, but like they don't have to have Nev Campbell and Scream Six for it to work. Yeah, uh, Hayden Panettiere not, is coming. Yeah, it's not like it's not like Laurie Strode. No, and even then, it's like, re- yeah, you, and even then you have to bring in other characters. You can't she, just no. rely on her forever. She was almost tacked on in Scream Five. Like even then, you didn't really need her. Uh, yeah. it's it's worth mentioning Hayden Panettiere is coming back from Scream Four, so they're at least grabbing her out of the ether, and then they're going to bring Jenna Ortega, Melissa Barrera, and a couple of the characters back. I think Jenna Ortega is getting a bigger role in Scream Six, don't you? Yeah, she had probably. a decent role in Scream Five as kind of a sister who's dispatched early and just appears in hospital scenes throughout most of the movie. But uh, yeah. You need, and that's the thing that there. It's it's a tough thing because you can't use too big of a star. Like you can't get Tom Holland in Scream Six, but you you're trying to make stars out of the new cast, and it's, it's a bit of a challenge. Yeah, and and that's not going to be easy to do. But I think you're going to be off better off by you know maybe leaving some legacy characters behind. Clearly not all. They've got Hayden Panettiere back. What else does she have going on? But for what it's worth, like good for get good for Neff Campbell. Good good for not being good for her for not being defined by like this one series. It would be so easy to just show up and collect a paycheck every time they roll up one of these movies, right? Like uh, Michael Gross in the Terminator, Terminator uh, the, the Tremors movies. Except he actually does get action and like run around and stuff. But anyway, uh, you know, good for her because she knows what she's worth. All right, I, I respect that, and uh, I think Scream Six might uh, might be in a good place regardless of whether or not she's in it. 
our last story uh, from the box office this week. Top Gun 2 is continuing to be the biggest movie ever. <laughs> Andy, what do, you, what do you know about this? Huge, huge second weekend. We knew it was going to be huge, and nothing came out uh, against it. Uh, Save Crimes of the Future, which is specialty box office. So that doesn't really count. Uh, but came out for a record $90 million in its second weekend, uh, crossed $550 million globally. And it, and it set a record for, it, this is like a baseball stat. It's very specific. It's like the second weekend of a holiday for a movie starring Tom, like, huge weekend though 90 million dollars 550 million globally it's massive and it, it's tom cruise's biggest uh money making uh more than uh one of the mission impossibles i think the last one uh, fallout was really big and and also surprisingly the steven spielberg war of the worlds uh movie from the mid 2000s was actually one of his biggest movies as well and this is uh kind of blown both of those out of the water War of the Worlds was such an odd film. Do you remember watching that movie? I actually haven't never seen it. Have you really not? Steven Spielberg. You're like, uh, yeah, oh man, so we, should do, we should do War of the Worlds. Okay, put put that on the watch list. At some point, we should do War of the Worlds. Uh, I'm a I I I I'm a little surprised. I think people who have seen Top Gun Maverick and and have heard this fervor for a couple weeks now may not be surprised that it's doing well. But like before this happened, Andy and I talked about on the show, Top Gun Two may not be this big pop. I mean, it was scheduled to make something like ninety to one hundred and ten million, and we uh, even thought it might. We were not skeptical cross of that. Yeah. yeah, like so. So it, it's easy to look in the rear view and say, "Oh, of course, of course, it's Tom Cruise's biggest movie ever. Of course, it's doing great." But like, it it genuinely was a little shaky coming it, up to this. It, well, it did the one thing that no movie has done in literally the last two years, which is get older audiences back into the theater, like. The the forty and up crowd has just not come out for anything, and there's been movies aimed at that demographic, and they're just no, I'll just wait for sc- for streaming. But I think a combination of Tom Cruise's star power, the legacy uh, of the property, the IP, something that's not superhero related that you would have had to see twenty movies of, and just bringing a different kind of action. You know the the fighter, you know the fighter jet sequences are are really ast- astonishing, and it's something very different that we haven't seen in the theater for a really long time. Yeah, and I, I'm curious to see if we will see other films be developed around that blueprint right there. Like, older legacy title that's going to pull the 40 and up crowd with, like, one or two really solid stars at the front that elicits a bit of nostalgia that you can kind of refresh and make new. I know, like, the, the age of the reboot is upon us, right? The age of the remake sequel. Um, but in the case of Top Gun, like, there's few who do it better. Uh, and it helps that it's a genuinely good movie. Like, it's a great script. It's a lot of fun. The action is bar, I mean, second to none. Like, it's great. It's it's a very well-made feature. And I well, think everybody who worked on Top Gun's excited to see these numbers. And not only that, it has really high rewatchability. It, like, it's going to have legs. It's going to be in the plane in theaters for a while, probably to mid July. Like it's a, it's the kind of movie you can go back to in the theater and it's worth it. And like, you'll enjoy it just as much every time. Yeah. A couple other bits of news from this uh, before we jump into crimes of the future. I just wanted to get to some of these other smaller numbers. Dr. Strange and multiverse of madness just crossed $900 million globally. Not nothing. I know that movie's already in the rear view and we're already looking forward to some and other stuff, but like, Doctor Strange 2 made almost a billion dollars. Remember that when they make Doctor Strange 3 and maybe Doctor Strange 4. <laughs> also, also, you know, good, we, good we, we've said uh, Doctor Strange w- was kind of, it wasn't mediocre, but it was just kind of okay. Um, you know, it, it it's not like Top Gun sure. and it's still making like 
it just shows the power of Marvel and the MCU that you can come out with kind of an okay movie and still make almost a billion dollars. Yep. Additionally, uh, Crimes of the Future, which we're going to be talking about shortly, opened to uh, a little over $1 million. Uh, and it was a wide release for Neon, who published it. They put it out in 773 theaters. You know, it's a smaller feature. Like Andy said, it's a very niche audience. That doesn't surprprise me too much. And uh, one more bit of news. A- A24's Everything Everywhere All at Once enters its 11th weekend and hits $60 million. Still A24's highest grossing film to date. woo Love it. Um, with that, we should probably jump into the movie. Andy, any other thoughts before we, uh, you know, get into get into this madness? I'm ready. <laughs> Uh, I was going to say, Andy, would you recommend, uh, Andy, go ahead, man. You, 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 you got it on this one. Crimes of the future. I can feel you pulling things around in there. It's a brand new organ. Never before seen. So this is the latest, uh, sci-fi dystopian film from longtime auteur David Cronenberg, who of course is famous for The Fly, Crash, Videodrome, uh, more recently, things like Eastern Promises, uh, History of Violence, and I can't remember what his most uh, recent, uh, Cosmopolis, which was a kind of weird film with uh, Robert, Robert Pattinson. Pattinson. Yeah. Where have he, you seen he, that? I have. It, it, it's largely, like 90% of the movie takes place in the limousine. It's on it's, Netflix. Is it worth my time? Do you know? No. It's really okay. bizarre. It's, right. you'll, anyway, you'll, be, you'll be mad. But anyways, Crimes of the Future <laughs> um, stars... Well, the story is it takes place in a future where humans have evolved in very strange ways. Uh, there is no pain anymore. People cannot feel pain. And so they they kind of indulge in, in different kind of grotesqueries because they can cut themselves and not, not be hurt. Uh, Viggo Mortensen plays an artist called Saul Tenser who um, grows extra organs. That's kind of his evolutionary thing and they're essentially tumors but uh they grow and they grow very fast and his uh lover companion artistic partner uh caprice played by Lea sidhu she is a surgeon who removes these and they do this very publicly uh with a special equipment and it's this kind of grotesque uh, performance art uh you know he grow he grows the organs she removes them they do this in front of people and it's you know it's saying a lot a lot of uh, kind of weird things. That's their their situation. At one point, we we meet uh, the Department of uh, Organ Registry, where we we meet uh, a registrar and a woman named Timlin, played by oh, I can't remember her name now. Kristen, Kristen Stewart. Stewart. Yeah, yeah, Kristen Stewart, who is kind of obsessed with with Saul. And uh, the story is is kind of that's the setup of <laughs> uh, the, the story from there is kind of difficult to explain because it's, it's more about like, what does this mean for humanity? Like, are we still human? If we're changing so much, if we're evolving uh, at one point, there is uh, this registry is part of a larger like government organization to keep this radical evolution in check and kind of see who's evolving, who's not in what ways, uh, you know, they can't, they can't, can be allowed to evolve in some ways, but not in others. It's pretty strange to set up lots of body horror. Um, so that's our, our setup. I don't want to talk too much more about it. Zach, what'd you think? So it's been 20 years since David Cronenberg has made like a quality body horror film, which is perfect timing because this script is actually 20 years old. Uh, David Cronenberg penned it in 2002 uh, under the working title of Painkillers and originally had Nicolas Cage attached to Star, which would have been a 
very different movie. Uh, it might might just have been a bop, but it would have been 2002. So yeah, who, who knows? Uh, somebody somewhere recently, uh, some producer or somebody uh, approached Cronenberg, I don't know, his manager, uh, somebody in his life, and said, hey, I think you should do a movie. And he said, no, 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 I just want to do a book. Uh, movies are tough to finance. It's harder now than it is before. He said, no, 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 you, sh- you should do something really cool. There's this old script you wrote, Painkillers, that feels really applicable. And he thought, well, hold on, it's a 20-year-old thing. There's no way this movie about future technology and 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 this horrifying ideal of people not being able to experience pain uh, there's no way that still feels relevant now. And, and they were like, no, it does. Crimes of the Future has a lot to say about, uh, you know, the world we live in, artificiality, uh, pain, and subsequently pleasure, uh, art, and, and high art and low art and what that means to people. Uh, and I think it does a pretty good job of saying those things. It's got some very fantastic visuals and some really cool concepts, but it does fall a little a little flat in Cronenberg's videography i guess in his in his filmography that's what i'm looking for uh but i'm so excited to talk about it because i i think i liked it more than andy did yeah <laughs> i kind of liked it a lot uh but i don't know yeah let's let's jump into it so i thought it had some really interesting ideas this idea of advanced human evolution and what what does it mean to be human and when are you no longer human when you're you know when you change so much um you know so that's an interesting concept. Just this world is really bizarre because it's, you know, it's futuristic, but it's also, there's no computers and there's no digital anything. Everything is still like done with pen and paper. Um, it, so it, it, it's a kind of retro futurism. You know, if you've played things like fallout or Bioshock, it's like, you know, takes place in the fifties, but, it, but there's super advanced uh, technology. So that was kind of the, the setting I was reminded of. But just kind of where the story goes and the narrative, it just didn't. Um, it, it just didn't really grab me, and it didn't really make a whole lot of sense. There, there's several different kind of plot lines going on. There's Saul Tenser and their performance art, and his relationship with both uh, Caprice and Timlin, and you know, there's lots of like sexual tension and like sex is a big theme, as well as this whole like kind of cop. Uh, procedural background about like we got to find these people that are evolving um and it just doesn't all tie together cohesively for me but i did think there's you know i I would rather see someone swing for the fences and miss than not attempt uh regarding the setting i 100 percent agree like it it, it's very much almost like blade runner blade runner 2049 this lean on like (laughs) A world that is visually in disarray, wallpaper peeling on the walls, everything's covered in grime and sand and dust and mold, and and our characters are using technology that's very practical, right? Just little little cobbled together props, you know, a ring that's a camera that somebody will wear and walk around and film stuff, or you know, a big big goofy photography lenses. It 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 is it looks halfway the step between like today and like the world of Pixar's Wall-E. Like just everything's going to hell, and 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 this lean on on artifice like like in technology to kind of grow and keep the world going and keep the economy functioning like has uh, people evolving into you know kind of not not quite cybernetic organisms but like developing themselves into something more and that's that's part of 
this this idea behind what this movie's trying to say. If our technology is like vastly accelerating past us, like wouldn't humanity have to evolve to keep up? Would we want an extra set of fingers so we could type faster? Would we want like addition? Would, would we want to turn off our pain receptors so we don't feel like pain when it comes along? And and our our performance artists have this like wonderfully kind of disgusting view of the world because Saul yeah has has this medical condition where he develops these tumors uh, and and like tumor like organs and they are tracking these things and reporting them to the National Organ Registry uh, where Kristen Stewart and friends work uh, they get kind of pulled into this idea that um, he's not like <laughs> Saul Tenser's not like weird he's he's not part of the freak show rather he is the next step maybe maybe he's he his body is evolving faster than everybody else's and so it's important to keep up with the stuff and the characters in the movie totally run with this idea the people who come see their performance art who fund their wild antics like they a hundred percent lean into the idea that this is like the future that they're seeing yeah. something new and visceral and 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 it makes for really great visuals, really wonderful scenes of, of surgery using using combination of, of practical effects and a little bit of CGI. Uh, really horrifying body horror, which nobody does better, as far as I know, yeah. than Dave Cronenberg. Go ahead, Andy. Uh, yeah, that was the thing I was a little disappointed about is like the, the the trailer. I had a hard time just getting through the trailer. Like it made me like a little nauseous, and so I expected more of that. And really you've seen all all the extreme that you're going to see in, in the trailer. It doesn't really go much farther. And, you know, th there's a couple of other grotesque people. I'm saying the word grotesque a lot. Uh, but again, we saw it all in, all in the trailer and it doesn't really amount to more. I really thought the, the movie would be more about, about that kind of like, okay, in this world that where there is no pain, people are altering themselves in all these kind of weird and gross ways. And that's, that's not really the, the, the theme. It's more about this, this human evolution. Uh, but so that like the body heart didn't really serve the story as much as I, I thought it would. And it, it, it also just didn't gross me out as much as I like something like Videodrome. I'm still like, still give me the heebie-jeebies. reeling. Yeah. Um, yeah. This, this movie definitely puts the strong visuals in the trailer. Uh, but that doesn't cover the tone of how those visuals are, are, are introduced to you. The context um, you know, you, you, in the trailer, you might see a flash of some kind of weird surgery or something, but you don't see the camera linger on it for minutes on end. And you don't see other characters in the scene, like actively engaging with this horrifying material <laughs> and often doing really strange things to it with their bodies. Like you, you do get a bit of that. I, I agree. Probably the strongest visuals are in the trailer, but the context is nice and I think it's handled well. There's a couple scenes that are like really, really spine chilling for me. There's, there's one particular thing involving a zipper and like an open wound. <laughs> that's just like, Oh God, even thinking about it, like makes me it's just, just, just not fantastic. And I think a big part of the reason that works is because on a small set with a relatively moderate budget, I think, I don't, I don't actually know how much they shot the film for. Um, you've got really great acting from actors and actresses who reportedly did not really know where exactly things were headed. <laughs> uh, Viggo Mortensen is really, really odd as Saul Tenser. He's, he's constantly like writhing and turning and shifting. He's constantly and, like sick. Yeah. 
Yeah, and he's got this like horrible thing going on with his throat where he can't talk, so he's constantly making like throat sounds and like trying to. I don't want to gross anybody out on here by trying to replicate it, but like trying to speak and he can't swallow food, and you're just like, God, this Saul Tensor character is just twisted up. Leia Sadu's Caprice is is a welcome reprieve from that. She is mostly normal, uh, but as the film goes on, she begins to kind of develop and descend a bit into the madness. And Kristen Stewart's Timlin is like really, really interesting. She taps into just a hair of like the kind of shy meekness of Bella way back when she did Twilight. But with this like manic energy, she's just, she's just like really snippy and really like high pitched and loud and quick. And like, she kind of whispers a lot and like, just, just, just really, really odd, odd character. And the three of them kind of hold down most of the script there's other characters that swim in and out of the film but for the most part those are going to be the three you're paying attention to um and reportedly at least in kristen stewart's camp like she didn't a little like mad max fury road like as they were filming scenes out of out, out of order as they do in, in a production of this, she was like i don't know how this all ties together exactly tonally to work but it does like somehow cronenberg manages to pull in the reins and keep all three of them moving in a really really synchronized swim. And I think you get a solid feature that narratively uh, works for me. Like I was, I was engaged the whole time there. There's another interesting element is that there's these kind of strange machines that people use. One is this like chair that's supposed to make you eat, make eating uh, better. And it's like constantly shifting and twisting and it looks like it's made out of like human bones. It's really kind of creepy. And then there's physical prop, like just physically like kind of wretches and moves. Yeah. Um, and then there's also uh, they Saul Tensor has this weird bed that does the same thing. It's supposed to like anticipate your pain and then uh, shift and move because he he does apparently feel pain when he sleeps or he, again when he tries to eat food. And so there's this whole thing about you know manufactured uh, convenience or or comfort for to to amend the, these ailing things which are really part of evolutionary you know happenings. And so. I thought that was a, a pretty interesting idea. And that's what I, I think works most about it. It introduces some really uh, interesting ideas just about like the human condition and where it is and where it's going. I think that's kind of what worked the most for me. Yeah. The the machinery in, in crimes of the future. Oh, hold on. My dog in here. All right. <laughs> Hi. Sorry, I thought I thought I locked the door. I guess not. Uh, yeah, the machinery in Crimes of the Future is v- uniquely Cronenberg. Like everything looks sticky <laughs> and kind of damp, uh, and it looks like it's made out of human body parts, uh, including the Sark. Uh, this this really cool uh, surgical autopsy machine that our two performance artists use to perform. They do they do surgery live in this thing Viggo Mortensen's character Saul will get in it and and Caprice will kind of control it with this weird like frog almost like almost like a toad looking control device that she holds on her torso and, and presses colorful buttons on to work these big physical prosthetic arms big old surgical knives on them uh, I, I I was doing some research for them before the show today uh, apparently they had filmed all of that practical and they just CGI'd out the wires. Like rather than just having CGI knives, oh no, <laughs> they did as much practical as they could and CGI'd out the seams, which I think 
help sell it. And Andy's right. Like you don't actually see that much like brutal gore, but the way these like prop knives just like jam into the torsos and start swirling around. is just so (laughs) horrifying. Like, Oh God. And it's supposed to be, it's it's so great visually because I know I know the characters don't feel pain uh, and and that does make it feel like oh well they're not feeling anything so what's it matter but like seeing <laughs> seeing these prop knives just like stick themselves in and It'll start swirling around yeah it's like on the it's like on the blend setting like it's so ugly and and it just feels disgusting to watch um, and that's like that's that's the kind of experience I get from a movie like Titan, right? Like or Titan uh, from last year. Like, it's so rare I get to feel this feeling like sitting in a theater. And I love that this got at least a mildly wide release, so that you know more people could experience it, like us. My God. Yeah, I, uh, it's it's really kind of harrowing to me. There is a lot of CGI in that uh, in like some of these surgery scenes, and that didn't work as well for me. I also know it's pretty difficult to replicate like you know live surgery on on someone um but that's something that i didn't i wish they had found a way to just be a little bit more practical yeah and it's fortunately like the practical effects uh you know i I, i'm glad they're there because they feel uniquely cronenberg um there's some other (laughs) kind of goofy goofy things in the movie that, that that feel like something I'd see in a movie like his. There's this one shot of these CRT televisions, you know, old cathode ray tube TVs, uh, during the first kind of like performance surgery where they say in these big, bold, white letters, body is reality. It's like the greatest, <laughs> the greatest weird 80s schlock horror. And I'm, I'm all about it. It feels uniquely sci-fi. It feels like a script that I'd only see from somebody like Cronenberg. It also does have its problems. Uh, it, it, it's a little heavy handed, I think, in what it's trying to say. And it just kind of has a lot to cover. I mean, you've got to look at like, one, the idea of the future and what that might hold, how technology might affect that and how waste produced from constant artificial use like plastics is handled, uh, the evolution of our species and how we perceive evolution versus um I, I don't know disability like there, there, there's a lot going on here uh, uh what it means to to self-reflect uh in 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 the face of art uh pleasure pain is covered um and and i i does a pretty good job i think of 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 presenting all of that to you but i i'll be honest like andy by the time we hit credits i felt i felt like i was just wanting a little bit more um Especially with, and I don't, I don't know if you're in the same boat as me, Andy, like the ending is almost a surprise. I definitely thought I had another 10 minutes. Yeah, same. <laughs> and it's credits. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> that's, that's it. That's the movie. Um, quick, quick in, quick out. I, I think, I think Cronenberg wanted to, to, to dust off the old shoes and see what he could get into here. And then he did. Are you ready for recommendations? I think I'm ready for recommendations. <laughs> um, I didn't want to say good score. Uh, Howard Shore? Yeah, uh, that's actually something yeah. I've been meaning to look up and, and listen to. I did enjoy the score, for sure. Okay. Quality score, quality visuals. Andy, would you recommend Crimes of the Future? I would say save it for streaming. Um, and if you're interested in something different, in 
in futuristic sci-fi, if you're a fan of David Cronenberg, if you like some some body horror, or if you're uh, you know interesting or looking for bold cinema, I think it's definitely worth checking out, seeing what you think uh, for yourselves. It has some really interesting I- ideas and kind of themes it introduces. The narrative doesn't really uh, isn't cohesive enough for me. I, I thought I could just kind of have more structure and, and direction. Um, and I also felt like this movie just needed like. 10 to 15 million more dollars like it seemed like it was really done on the cheap and i i was like you you could if you could add a little bit more to it add a little bit more to the world building and yeah because it it seems like really sparse with just the amount of people in it as as well so i I, like i said i would say save it for for streaming check it out if you're interested um yeah yeah i i agree I, i i don't I think if you're a Cronenberg fan, you should go see it in theaters. But like, if you're just looking for something sci-fi to watch, just wait for it to come to streaming. It don't take probably probably got HBO. It seems like HBO Max material, but I don't I don't know. It could be on Amazon Prime for all I know. Um, it's yeah, it's good, and I I think it is a strong return for Cronenberg. I I want to see what he does next. I hope he's inspired by this. I hope he wants to run in the next direction. Like I said, it, it seems like he's pretty into writing books. Uh, <laughs> I was reading one of his interviews before the film, uh, before we did, we recorded this. And he, he's like, I really, books are a lot easier than movies. Like they're a lot lower impact and they cost a lot less. And it's a lot less headache. Um, so I hope, I hope he makes more. Um, and yeah, I, I, it's, it's pretty good. I, I, I uniquely, I, I do want to compare it just for a minute to like his son, Brandon Cronenberg's movie possessor possessor, I think was made on a similar budget and it just felt a little tighter with a bit more flash. Like Possessor managed to look at its budget and and accept it, and it feels like this movie was trying to operate in spite of it. And 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 I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I'm curious to see what's next. Uh, with that being said, we should move on to our next segment. Uh, Andy, you want to give the the introduction on this one? It's time for the death of cinema. Otherwise known as the death of Netflix, <laughs> possibly. Yeah, just about. Um, so after the kind of the, the disastrous April 29th earnings call where Netflix said they had lost uh, 200,000 subscribers, uh, they announced that they'd be making kind of big cuts, big changes to their uh, content model. And, and they're going to be making fewer movies possibly bigger movies, uh, but they're going to try and up the quality a little bit so that that's a huge amount of changes are, are coming. They, at the same time, they have slashed a oh, tons of stuff has gone on the chopping block. They've laid off like 2% of their workers as well as, uh, like I said, cut production on a, a ton of films, uh, animation, smaller things, un- unfortunately, but they got a plan. So that's what we're going to get into. Zach, what do you know? Uh, so Andy introduced this perfect. Yep. April 19th, uh, they had an earnings call. Netflix reported that they lost subscribers. Uh, since then they have, they tumbled in stock. They've been down 44% of its original stock value since that day. Morale apparently at the company is also stuck at stock level, said one executive to the Hollywood reporter. Um, it seems like people are distracted given the changes. And so Netflix has employed or is planning to employ, it seems, a host of changes, like cracking down on password sharing so people can't share passwords between households, 
or adding an ad supported plan for a little bit of a cheaper price so people can get in at a lower barrier to entry. Uh, but this one's weird and it's uniquely film and Netflix is like it or not a bit of a big deal in the film space right now. So seeing what they're going to do may set an example for others in one way or another. And this idea that Netflix is basically looking to kill the mid budget movie is weird because a few years ago, Netflix was the savior of the mid-budget movie. Uh, movies like Always Be My Maybe, like a $30 million rom-com, did fine on the service. It introduced a little diversity, had some fun with some big actors like uh, Keanu Reeves, who appeared in a great guest spot, brought some people in. Now they're not going to do that anymore. Uh, they just want to make more Red Notice, and they want to make more of this $200 million movie, The Gray Man, from the Russo brothers who directed Avengers Endgame, starring Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans. It's, it, it, I, I don't want to say movies by algorithm, but Andy, is that like a poor read? Because that's what it feels like. I think that's definitely part of it. The, the other thing is, it's interesting that they say bigger, because at the same time while they're cutting, they're, they're wanting to make some bigger movies at the same time. And the way they define that is instead of making two $10 million movies, maybe they make one $20 million movie. Uh, so they're trying to maybe up the quality a, a little bit, slow down on, on the, just cause it was just like, you know, pump out as much content as you can. Uh, that they've reached the wall with that strategy and they're like, okay, we really get, need good stuff to, to keep people. So we still will have mid budget films, but they, it looks like they're really going to go after these, the big stuff like, you know, like red notice, the Adam project, uh, don't look up these really expensive, like Hollywood, uh, with big names and, and budgets. Uh, they're going to continue to do that. Um, but also gone are the days of the, you know, $175 million art house film, like, uh, the Irishman, uh, they're probably not going to be doing those, those kinds of, uh, things. Uh, and it's, a, that's a shame because that, that is a great movie. That's actually something I put on quite often, despite it being three and a half hours. You know, funny, real quick before I jump back into it, uh, somebody on film Twitter pointed this out today. Better title for the Irishman would have just been the original title, I Heard You Paint Houses. Much better. Yeah. <laughs> Much better title than the Irishman. Anyway, uh, yes, one insider Netflix said the goal would be to make the best version of something instead of cheapening out for the sake of quantity. Quality over quantity. It sounds like Netflix is still going to be in the acquisitions game. Uh, they recently picked up a $50 million film from Emily Blunt called Pain Hustlers. Um, but they're going to stop making the mid-budget stuff. They're going to go for bigger and a little bit stronger. They're going to apparently slow down on animated films as well. Uh, their animated division took a big cut, took a big hit in these layoffs. And yeah, uniquely, they're saying, hey, we're not going to do the big, like, <laughs> we're going to make we're going to make big movies but they're not just going to give big movies to one artist uh regarding the irishman they said yeah we're not going to attract talent and just give them carte blanche to do whatever they want like we're going to go with something that feels concentrated and we're going to go with something that's strategized like something that feels like a smart move for us based on our metrics and Netflix has no shortage of metrics, right? They, they keep track of every single bit of data that comes into them. Who's watching when they're watching, why they're watching, how they're watching. And like, that's, that's, that's all well and good, but I can't help but wonder, you know, the influence this might have over other studios. And I hope it's not much like uh, Netflix is in a unique position that not many other studios are in right now. They've got to try to get their numbers back up and keep people coming back to their service. People that have already left. I don't know if this, I don't know if this is the way to do that. You know, I, I, I'm glad they've got the next two knives out movies coming. You know, I'm glad they got the Russo brothers on, on, on deck, but 
I don't know. <laughs> Apparently, they did, they're still trying to hit one movie a week, though. What do you think? They still, they definitely got to up the quality because we we see it's not consumers aren't having uh, streaming fatigue, which is what some people are saying because Disney is still having subscriber growth, HBO is still having subscriber growth, so. The, and those platforms are providing content that people want to see, and so what that tells us is that Netflix is not doing that. They're providing a whole bunch of like mediocre content that like you don't care if you watch it or, or not. And some of their bigger things are just taking so long. We've talked about Stranger Things is taking so long to develop and, and come out, and they also don't have a lot of properties like that. Like name another show that Netflix has that is as well known as Stranger Things. Like there's not. Right. Like they they've they've spent a lot of time just broadening out over the last few years and trying to make stuff that'll apply to a wide range of marketing demographics. And as they've done that, Netflix has grown to be quite the global company. So I get it. You got a lot of different audiences and a lot of different places you gotta entertain. But I think when it comes to making movies, yeah, it's probably a smart strategy to just kind of screw things down a little bit, tighten up budgets and say, hey, we're going to invest in things that are smarter and better. Doesn't always work. Uh, two, two, two films cited in here, three films cited in here, Don't Look Up, the Adam McKay film, which we thought was okay. Uh, Red Notice, which was, I don't know, we didn't oh, see God. it. And the, and the Adam Project, pretty medi- which was pretty mediocre. Okay. Yeah, all, all three of these are like, Fine. And I would say, honestly, if you're, if you're talking about the strongest films out of those, I, I'd say something like The Irishman's probably better. And they're not going to make many of those anymore. I, I mean, what what about a movie like Roma? Is that getting put on the table? That, that won Academy Awards, you know? I, I I don't know. Then again, Don't Look Up got nominated for Academy Awards. <laughs> yeah. Well, see, that's, that's the interesting thing is a lot of times I, I've said, how many Netflix movies have you rewatched? None. <laughs> Like <laughs> most of them are, they're so forgettable. And I've, you know, I see things like project power or extraction or the, the old guard that would, that we watched. It was one and done. It's like not worth going back to. It's the TV movie of the week. The Irishman is probably the only thing the, that I routinely rewatch. Yeah. I, I went back and watched the ballad of Buster Scruggs. Like that too. I think I watched that film. two more times. Okay. Yeah. Joel and Ethan Cohen solid not mentioned in here, but you know, worth mentioning. I, I, I think Netflix is on the right track with their movies, but I hope that they, if they're going to take the time to step back and look at their strategy, I hope they can look at Red Notice and realize like that was not exactly a cultural smash. Nobody's wearing a Red Notice t-shirt out. Like that doesn't, that that barely moved the needle, you know, and you had three huge stars in it, uh, Ryan Reynolds, Dwayne Johnson, and Gal Gadot. Um, I don't know. I I hope they put art first uh, and I, I, even though it seems like this is an art forward idea, it seems like they're definitely focusing on profits and their business. They should. I just, I hope Netflix makes good movies. I hope I want everybody to make good movies, right? We want everybody to make good movies on off screen. Yeah. <laughs> we don't, we well, don't want to watch bad movies and Netflix lately is putting out, you know, mediocre films. Right. And then it's interesting because things like HBO, HBO is more of, they curate content. They don't, create a ton of original content and most of their original stuff that's really good is, is usually their tv yeah and and you know hbo's got a significant advantage in their owner warner brothers warner brothers has studios and sound stages and sets and costumes and assets that they've been building for 50 years like it is it's it, it is not only easier to produce an hbo show it's almost it's not cheaper it's almost cheaper per cheaper per dollar they already got a lot of stuff <laughs> 
Netflix has to go out and buy that stuff. They have to build it. They got to pay Ryan Ryan Johnson $469 million to make two more Knives Out movies. It'd be a lot easier for Warner Brothers to make those films. So they're positioned in a unique spot. But they're a player in the game. It's important to see what they got going on, I think. Any uh, any thoughts on this for Bob's Burgers? I mean, we'll we'll wait and see what what these changes mean and what kind of movies we begin to get. Um, but I think it's going to be a long way before we get, you know, again, things that you want to rewatch and ask yourself how many, how many Netflix films have you rewatched? Yeah, not many. And the ones we have rewatched are the kind that are going to get next from this list. So yeah, bit of a bummer. Hopefully, you know, ho- hoping for the best uh, for, for Netflix's future. They do have those two knives out movies coming uh, when they are made and ready to go. Uh, we've also got to look forward to red notice Two and extraction Two. Um, God, there was something else. It was there was a good one I wanted to say, and I can't recall what it was. But you know, it's 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 fine. Uh, uh, Netflix is going to keep doing their thing, and if you want to hear more about the future of movies, keep it here on Offscript for more. And with that, we should jump into our final film of the episode. I'm going to be taking the summary on this, so please excuse any clumsy delivery of mine. The movie is the Bob's Burgers movie. So Bob's Burgers is an adult animated show that has been running for 12 seasons on FX. I think they're renewed for their 13th and 14th. And now they have made the leap to the cinema, which is not a strange thing for adult animated shows to do. But it doesn't happen to all of them. I think a lot of people who haven't watched Bob's Burgers might see this and brush it off because, well, I haven't watched any of the shows, so why would I watch it? And and that's fair. People do that with the Simpsons movie. People do that with the South Park movie. But if... You're one of those people who thinks Bob's Burgers is not that big of a show Um, because there's a lot of adult animated shows out there. You may lump it in with something like Family Guy or American Dad or, you know, I don't know, uh, Archer. Uh, Not every adult animated show gets a film and they definitely all don't get 14 seasons. Uh, Like it or not, Bob's Burgers is a pretty big show. And if it's not a show you watch and maybe people in your life don't watch it, it's worth mentioning that it's a big deal and not all of them get adult animated features like this. So with that being said, I should say I have seen probably every episode of Bob's Burgers movie (laughs) of Bob's Burgers, if that's not obvious, uh, by my, by my glowing introduction here. Uh, Andy has seen none. I'm going to say you've seen maybe a few episodes. No, I've seen, I think the first two seasons and then a handful like, okay. Okay. So So, you've got a bit of a base for, yeah. Right. Yeah. Good to know. Uh, all right. So so, so in, in the Bob's Burgers movie, right, what's happening? Well, the Belcher family is opening uh, uh, for, for opening the show, opening the restaurant one morning and looking forward to going to uh, the bank to get their loan renewed for their business. Uh, when, when disaster strikes and a monstrous sinkhole opens up directly in front of the store, right over the door, nobody can get in. And they've only got one week to make their money back and save their restaurant. And regarding the sinkhole, there's a bit of a mystery around it. And the ki- the Belcher kids stumble onto it and unwittingly discover that if they can solve this mystery in time, they might just be able to save the restaurant and secure their future for a sunny side up summer. The movie is the Bob's Burgers movie. Andy, what'd you think? So I really enjoyed it. And I'm a fan of Bob's Burgers. I just haven't kept up with uh, the show. I was really worried that 
Um, there would be all these in jokes that people wouldn't get because there's a ton of them on on the show, and I was worried that they were there would be a ton of them in the movie, and there would be a lot of things lost on people. But they actually really stay away from that. They stay a lot away from a lot of the show lore, uh, but still really introduce the characters and develop the characters enough so even if you if you haven't met them before you're going to be real familiar with them uh throughout the movie um and and they present conflicts and obstacles that are again that live within the film you don't have to have seen uh you know 10 seasons of it to know what's going on um but it's really funny like the uh it does that thing where there's like you know a joke a second like the the (laughs) there's so many jokes thrown at you in so many ways visual auditory other things like lots of, of really good gags uh, you'll probably if you watch it several times you'll probably catch new jokes uh every time but uh yeah i thought it I thought it was a lot of fun from a a casual fan of the show i'm in the same boat as as a, a bit of a larger fan of the show i don't own any t-shirts or anything but christine and i have definitely watched i think every episode bob's burgers is a show that can be uh, i think i think quickly identified by three key traits uh one pretty simple animation right you get adult animated you got characters with big bug eyes <laughs> talking to each other uh you may have seen some characters like tina or gene in his burger outfit or sasquatch uh number two uh biting wit in its script uh, its writers lauren bouchard and nora smith have written every episode together and they directed most of the television episodes uh, it is a laugh a minute script. It, characters are are talking over one another, uh, like across gags, and one will immediately respond to somebody before somebody else jumps in with something completely different. And it makes the show a lot of fun to rewatch uh, because you go back and catch jokes again. The movie is written by the same writers. It is in the exact same tone of that. And number three, uh, it's boundless optimism. Like Bob's Burgers is unique because it is always ending on a positive note and our characters are trying to lift each other up through weirdness and puberty and odd situations <laughs> and like goofy, goofy gags, like sinkholes in front of the restaurant. Like they are constantly elevating one another. And so many other adult animated shows drag each, drag their characters down, right? Homer chokes Bart or, or, or Stewie makes fun of Peter cause he's fat. Like so many other shows will go out of their way to be cynical and Bob's Burgers is a show that uniquely responds to that with a family that is like so crushingly middle class that they're going to lose the restaurant if they can't get the bank loan renewed uh which I think creates a good setting for the Bob's Burgers movie a lot of adult animated shows leave the town right oh the Simpsons movie puts a dome over Springfield and then half the movie our characters are outside of Springfield uh, South Park, bigger, longer, uncut, takes our characters to Canada with an Academy mm. Award-nominated song, uh, and ultimately uh, waging war on the world. The Bob's Burgers movie never actually leaves their town. <laughs> In fact, most of the movie takes place around Wonder Wharf, uh, the giant amusement park uh, that's just next to, uh, just adjacent from the restaurant. And I think that gives the show the opportunity to just stay rested on the laurels that have always worked. Um, you're not going to have to explain a lot to your audience. It's a pretty simple family, right? You, you got, you got uh, Tina and Linda and, and Jean and Linda. Who's Linda? Uh, the mom. Linda. You got Bob. Uh, God, I can't even think of all the kids' names. Sorry. I just wanted a whole tear about the Bob's Burgers, the show. Andy, take this from me for a second. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. The uh, it, it works because it it stays in, in film where where 
you're not having to explain a bunch of lore or in jokes or and there are like a lot of characters from the show but they don't stick with them too too long or like you know the show has a lot of episodes with like the kids at and and school and the kids at school and like we don't get any of that here because the audience isn't going to be familiar so it does a really good job of focusing on the characters as we know them in this film and like they're all kind of struggling with things. Obviously the parents are, are trying to make sure that the restaurant doesn't close. Uh, Tina is, you know, has her heart set on her, her cr- summer crush and she's trying yeah. to figure out how to talk to him. Right. Uh, Lu- yeah. Lu- Luis um, is, you know, it actually has a lot of anxieties really unsure of herself. And again, all these conflicts are introduced and resolved within the world of the film, and you don't have to have seen uh, a bunch of other stuff. And so that that makes it really watchable to newcomers. Yeah. Uh, The animation for this movie, like I think most adult animated movies, is better than what you see in the show. They added shadows. So (laughs) it's got (laughs) shading now, right? And, and, And a bit more layers. And I did... I didn't notice uh, two two really noticeable things about the animation. One, really good watercolor backgrounds. I think the show's always had good backgrounds, but like they really stepped it up with the budget and made the, made the, made the show look made, made the movie look very good, very clean, solid art, lots of good colors and shading. I know that sounds silly, but it's genuinely they've got some scenes in here that I'm like, wow, this this is a really cool little underground layer we're in, or like, wow, the underside of Wonder Wharf looks really kind of menacing. I don't know. And number two, um, surprisingly effective character choreography during dance numbers. If you forgot, uh, the Bob's Burgers movie is technically a musical, although there aren't mm-hmm. many musical numbers. Andy, I think there's like f- five, four, maybe yeah, four, it's, it's- yeah. Uh, I've been going back and looking at the soundtrack on Spotify and sure enough, like the first two tracks on there are numbers from the movie. And there's like at least 25 minutes between the two of them. And it's only like a hundred minute movie. So there's not that many musical numbers, but for what's there, the music's pretty well written. If anything, maybe a little complicated, which is not always a problem with Bob's Burgers music. The show has a lot of music. Uh, our, our, Our show writers are also a bit of songwriters that way, but uh, surprisingly good choreography. Lots of animated characters on screen doing complicated dances that I wouldn't expect from an animated show, like specific neck movements versus shoulder movements versus whatever. I know it sounds silly. Just if you go see it, keep an eye out. You'll have you'll see 25 animated characters on screen all doing different dances. It's kind of bananas, and that's not easy to do. So I don't know. Good quality animation, I guess, is what I'm trying to say, and pretty good music too. Yeah, the, the the music is fun. There's again, there's not too much of it. They don't o- overdo it, and you know the family they get into kind of these ridiculous situations. Um, but it's it's always it's always fun. Like I, I found myself kind of engaged with it the whole time. I was never just like, oh, when's this gonna be over, uh, or anything like that. Sorry, can you hear me? I can. I'm cut out for a minute. I probably cut out too, but it worked out fine. Uh, Yes. Overall, I think the Bob's Burgers movie is a solid tribute to the show. Like it does a great job of taking it tonally in the exact direction it's supposed to go in. It feels very much like Bob's Burgers and it's not trying to be larger than life. I think it's uniquely humble, but the Belcher family has always been humble. 
Like they've always lived in a crappy restaurant. And they've always barely made ends meet. So when you watch the movie and the movie doesn't go to grand places and the movie doesn't put grand expectations on our characters, it feels fitting. Like, of course they'd be running around Wonder Wharf and trying to trying to make sure the restaurant stays open tomorrow. You know, of course they'd be getting into wacky annex. Like it, it feels exactly like it's supposed to. Nobody feels out of character. Nobody feels out of place. Our cast does a fantastic job of voicing their characters. Everybody feels comfortable in their own skin because they've been there for 12 freaking seasons. Bob's Burgers movie is a rock solid follow-up to the show. Now, does it stand on its own apart from the show? That I don't know because I've seen a lot of episodes. Andy might know better, but Andy, you said it was pretty fine, right? You haven't watched yeah, the show. Yeah, I, I, like I said, I, I I really thought that it did stand on the show. Like I said, I've only watched the first two seasons, so I'm already 10 years behind on the show, and I was still able to, um, you know, it, I, it still felt relatable and easy to get into even if you're, you're not familiar with the show. Yeah, and uniquely, before I jump to recommendations, I want to mention one more time, the show's very funny. Or the movie's very funny. I mean, both are funny, but like I, I genuinely laughed a lot during the movie. I don't know if Andy laughed a lot, but I, I like hard blew past the six laugh test. A strong, a strong comedy. <laughs> some yeah. of the best laughing I've done in theaters uh, this year. Solid. And with that, Andy, would you recommend Bob's Burgers, the movie, uh, the Bob's Burgers uh, yeah. movie? Yeah, I would both to fans of the show and newcomers. Uh, I, I heard a review from, from Mark Kermode where he said he had never seen this show. He actually thought it was like a kid's show. Um, and after watching it, he was like, I, I want to go check out this TV show. So it's that kind of film that it will get people into the show if you haven't watched it before. I think you could probably save it for streaming. It's not like a diehard must-see in theaters. It is fun and enjoyable, but there's nothing about it that I, it's like the theatrical th- experience is necessarily better other than like, if you'd seen it in like a big group of, of, of like, of likewise fans, which I did not, it was pretty sparse actually, actually, but yeah, overall recommend. Yeah. I, I'm in the same boat. I had a ton of fun watching this movie. Christine and I went and saw it on a quiet Tuesday and there was nobody else in the theater because it was the middle of the day. Uh, and we laughed our heads off and, and we joked about it. Like, and we talked about it after, I think if you're able to go see it with friends who have also enjoyed the show, you're going to have your best experience, but it's a ton of fun. I think I think it's just as good as the show. I, I think the Bob's Burgers movie is rock solid. Uh, would recommend if you're a fan of the show. If you're not and you need something to watch, go for it. I think you probably wait till streaming. But if you have the means, Bob's Burgers is on Hulu. And I would say you should definitely go check it out. If you want to know what the movie's about, go watch the show. And if you've already watched the show, you're going to like the movie. And that's the Bob's Burgers movie. And that's our show. Andy, what are we watching next week? So... Big weekend where we are in the midst of the summer movie season. Oh, yes. So get ready for Jurassic World Dominion, the sixth and I doubt final entry into the Jurassic World uh, franchise. That's going to be a huge movie regardless. The other two have made over a billion dollars each. It's going to be massive. So we'll be seeing that in theaters. And then we're going to jump to Netflix for our second film and watch Hustle which is a, an Adam Sandler basketball comedy dramedy uh, that actually comes out tomorrow, June 8th on a Wednesday. And uh, so we'll be checking uh, that out, see what that's all about. Heard good things. And uh, you never know with Adam Sandler. Like it could, it could be uncut gems or it could be, you know, you don't be no Halloween. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like the ridiculous really, seven or whatever that movie was. Yeah. Yeah. You really don't know. And just some other, uh, releases that are coming out this week to take note of on streaming. Uh, no Time to Die comes to Amazon Prime on Friday, June 10th. So this is Amazon recently acquired MGM, which owns uh, part of the James Bond franchise. 
So this is Amazon Prime flexing that uh, that new acquisition. Uh, so you'll be able to see the latest James Bond film. Also coming to HBO Max is The Card Counter, which was the Oscar Isaac uh, star. Uh, really great f- film from last year written by uh, Paul Schrader and directed by Paul Schrader as well. Uh, so those are just some new, new, new to streaming releases to keep an eye out for if you haven't seen those. Yeah, both solid watches. You should go if you have HBO and or Amazon Prime. You should go check out both those. They're both solid films. I think you will enjoy them. Uh, man, I'm so not excited about Jurassic World. I've I've heard kind of mixed mixed reviews so far. God, I man, I barely cared about the first Jurassic World, and then Fallen Kingdom was like a snooze fest. And like, I I hope I like this one more. I I need to get out of this like cynical rut i'm in with them because they're obviously making a boatload of money but like they they're they're genuinely less fun than the fast and furious movies like it God, yeah crit, like it, just that's a that's a great comparison because you know fast and furious is a big spectacle action expensive film and so is jurassic world but somehow fast and furious <laughs> manages to be more entertaining yeah like i i cannot i i don't know if i have the stomach to watch people hold hands up at dinosaurs for 90 minutes like and and that be an effective it's like the force it's like the force like it's just a convenient (laughs) plot device for somebody to not get eaten by a thing that should absolutely eat anyway uh hustle looks all right yeah honestly i'm i'm looking forward to hustle because the reviews are decent and like like andy said like god adam sandler can go one of two ways man it's either good or just thunderingly mediocre um so we'll see yeah, we'll see you again. Hopefully it's some quality drama. Uh, if you enjoyed the show today, you enjoyed this little episode of off script we did, the biggest thing you do to help us out is subscribe. Just subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform and, uh, you know, you get off script delivered to you every single week. We're on Facebook where we live stream the show every Tuesday. Uh, we are on YouTube where we upload our live streams, Instagram, Twitter, all those usual plug places. We're there. You know, the show's around. And you can check out our website at offscriptfilmreview.com. You can write us correspondence and mail it at offscriptfilmreview.com and let us know what you thought of the show. And, uh... That's our show. That's episode 179 off script. God, time flies. Andy, we're coming up on, uh, listen, we're only 21 episodes away from Big 200. That's, wow. Oh, God. I know. We're going to do something. Yeah. You, you remember um, that blowout we had for 100? We're going to have to really <laughs> do it big. five years of, of bold cinema. I'm going to order a bounce house. It's going to be great. <laughs> <sighs> from all of us at off script, the home of bold cinema, I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for watching.